0: Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, welcome back to the next edition of Go and Make. Brian Miller here, your host of Go and Make, Director of Evangelization and Discipleship for the Archdiocese of St. Louis. And this week, it's Catholic Schools Week. I'm really excited to have a great conversation about the power and the value of Catholic education. We know that... Education is one of our largest outreaches in the Archdiocese of St. Louis of how we're shaping and forming and molding young minds. And the conversation today is about how can we use our Catholic schools to make disciples. We do a lot of work on faith formation. We really work hard to make sure our students know the Catholic faith. But how do we make sure our students in Catholic schools fall in love with the person of Jesus Christ? Our guest today, we're really excited to have him. It is Jimmy Mitchell, who is the director of campus ministry at Jesuit High School in Tampa, Florida. And Jimmy is someone I've gotten to know in ministry over the last 10 years. We've connected on and off, and we recently reconnected and had some great conversations about the work that he's doing down in Jesuit, helping to uh, bring the gospel and bring people into the Catholic Church. So Jimmy, we are so excited to have you here with us today.
1: Thanks, Brian. It's great to be with you and all the good people in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, man.
0: I know we've had you here many times for Steubenville conferences and different things in and out of the Archdiocese. You're a a familiar face to many, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, no, it's great because uh, obviously we reconnected recently and uh, I'm still surprised that I ended up in Catholic education. You know, so much of my life up until COVID was itinerant ministry, whether that was retreats, conferences, summer camps. So it really is cool to to have this conversation with you today, especially given that we're in such a, a wonderful week, a kind of a appreciative and and kind of celebratory week for for catholic schools all over the country
0: yeah talk about that how how did you end up in first itinerant ministry so so one of the questions we ask everyone on the show is just to tell us a little bit of your own faith story your own journey of how the lord first captured your heart and then maybe about how that led to ministry but first is where did you meet the lord and how did you you know say yes yes
1: I grew up in Atlanta and had a a pretty wonderful experience of both Catholic parish life and Catholic education, Um, but I'll say that there was certain formation, you know, missing in that. Um, When I went off to college, I was a very, you know, we'll say Irish Catholic, stubborn Catholic. I was never going to miss Mass on Sundays. I at least knew how important that was. But my spirituality became pretty evangelical, and, and I mean that really more in the Protestant sense, um, because I uh, developed this this zeal for souls, this love for the person of Jesus Christ, this love for Scripture, all things that are very much a part of our Catholic faith as well. Um, but the way that they would often express themselves were in, you know, um, Protestant Bible studies, um, a, an amazing Christian fraternity on campus, but one that was very much Baptist kind of in its root system, um, eventually, you know, spending a, a lot of time, you know, in and out of uh, youth uh, conferences, praise and worship type of, of events uh, all over the city of Nashville and beyond, and I was often the only Catholic in the room. I share that because I learned and, frankly, grew so much in that time, and my personal love for the Lord and my ability to to speak to Him in prayer as a friend. Uh, For some reason, by the grace of God, I I never stopped going to Mass on Sundays, but it wasn't really until I was doing some pretty intense missionary work in a third world country halfway through college, and then eventually studying abroad in Europe where I fell in love with the church and all of her beauty and all of her history over there, that things started to really get much deeper. Um, And before I knew it, uh, by the time I was a junior in college, I I just had this real natural desire to, to go to daily Mass. Actually, I suppose that's a supernatural desire. I mean, yeah, that's a,
0: not normal. Yeah. A grace that God gave me. <laughs> I wish me. it was more normal.
1: I know, I know. And it wasn't one of these things that anybody told me to do. I just felt drawn to it. But it was while I was studying abroad. It was while I was showing up in all these beautiful cities with their basilicas and cathedrals, you know, unlike anything I'd ever seen up until that point. And that was coupled with a love for the rosary, That eventually opened me up to the possibility of a vocation. Next thing I knew, I was graduating from Vanderbilt with a degree in business and going off to seminary for the Diocese of Nashville. And I didn't spend much time at seminary, but that was easily the most formative time of my entire life. And it set me up to really spend the next decade traveling as an itinerant missionary, um, working back in Nashville as a bit of an entrepreneur alongside Catholic artists and musicians whenever I wasn't traveling, and because my life was so event-based, you know, uh, up until COVID, um, you know, it didn't really occur to me how how my even livelihood depended on events. Um, and then suddenly, all of that screeched to a halt. And undergirding all of that travel and all of that, you know, apostolate um, for those ten or twelve years was a, a deep love um, for the Lord, of course, and a real um, desire to help young men in particular grow in faith and grow in prayer and grow in virtue and help them discern God's will. And this often would you know, take the form of the, the, the kinds of uh, breakout sessions that I would lead for young men at conferences and the kinds of discipleship groups that I would lead back home in Nashville. And eventually, uh, this sort of um, kind of culminated in an opportunity to be a, a campus minister at this all-boys school down here in Tampa. And I, I'm just to this day surprised by how much I love it by how much uh, the Lord can work through it. And I'm you know, certain that we're going to get into it, but you know, I, I feel like God has given me this opportunity to imitate one of my heroes day in and day out, and that's St. John Bosco, whose feast day we celebrate this week, who's obviously one of the great patrons of Catholic education, but specifically, he's a great patron for young men. He dedicated his entire life to forming and, and fathering uh, orphan boys, many of whom went on to become saints themselves, and that's my great desire, that's my great calling to help boys uh, become virtuous Catholic men and and help them strive for the, the kind of holiness we're all made for.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know you talk to a lot of people, especially young people as they're they're coming to know the Lord and they have these powerful experiences at conferences and they hear, these amazing talks, and they say, like, I want to be the guy up on the stage, right? And they, they want to do the, not necessarily the rock star ministry, because it's, it's not necessarily about that, but they they have that kind of inkling and desire. And you go and you do that, and it's good, and it can be powerful, but to do the day-in, day-out, hands-on ministry that you get to do in a high school, I mean, that's way cooler than, than being on stage in front of a lot of people, isn't it?
1: I obviously agree with that, although I would have never known it until I was in it. You know, most people start in parish youth ministry or high school campus ministry. And then they hope to kind of move towards maybe the diocesan level. And then, you know, if they're fortunate enough or have enough opportunities opening and presenting themselves, they'll they'll do the national thing and they'll travel and, and they'll speak. Well, I, I kind of did it in reverse. I didn't intend to become an itinerant, you know, a missionary or a, a Catholic speaker. That happened, I'll just say providentially. And I loved every every opportunity that the Lord ever gave me, every young person I ever met on the road, there was so much love and continues to be so much love for them and for that kind of ministry because I'm still traveling a couple times a month and most of the summer doing that kind of work. But now suddenly 10 months out of the year, I'm in the trenches uh, of Jesuit high school. I'm in the, the hearts of young men that I have the privilege of accompanying day in and day out. It's not like, okay, we get to the end of the Soonville Conference on a Sunday, And I'm saying goodbye knowing I may never see them again. Um, We run, you know, close to 20 retreats a year at Jesuit. And there's always this wonderful gratitude at the end of them when I realize, oh yeah, guys, I'll see you on Monday and we'll pick up where we left off. And that is a, a powerful, much more sustainable work of evangelization and formation when you're just, like I said earlier, in the trenches, accompanying these young people day in and day out, rolling up your sleeves, getting dirty with them, and kind of walking through even the mess of their lives with them and being Christ to them through that is such a privilege. The other reality is you know not only is there more joy in this there's also more heartbreak because you're invested at such a uh, such a more deep and, and emotional level um, that you can't help but but care and you can't help but uh, worry and uh, and have much more uh, of a you know kind of Fatherly heart for them when you see, especially you know, the, the them going astray and them you know, uh, very much broken and 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 hoping you know for for more out of life, but always, not always knowing where to turn or having the strength to to come back to the Lord. And you have to sometimes just watch that process unfold, you know, because there's only so much. Yeah, I've learned this the hard way. There's only so much I can do in the you know in the cases of some of these young men that I, I love them and I, I so want. Um, their happiness and their holiness. Um, but I've also had to learn some hard lessons in, in detachment along the way too.
0: You know, it's you guys have had some some pretty unique success in in campus ministry there at, at Jesuit High School. And again I one of the things we're like we wish it wasn't unique, but it but it is. You guys have had well you said fifteen to twenty guys a year coming into the church, joining RCIA, becoming Catholic from your high school, isn't that right?
1: It's pretty amazing. I mean, just over a hundred guys in the last several years, so uh, on average 15 to 20 every school year, who decide to become Catholic. And it's a big decision, I mean, for a 15-, 16-, 17-year-old young man to decide that he wants to get baptized once and for all or uh, received into the church once and for all. And that, of course, comes with you know, their uh First Holy Communion and their confirmation, in the case of the guys who've already been baptized, they're making their first confession. It's just a big decision to make, basically on their own. Now, many of them are being raised in families that are full of, we'll say, natural virtue and a lot of love and support, but not very much faith, and therefore not a ton of formation. So when they show up in Jesuit as freshmen, and they're, you know, basically walked through the full deposit of the faith in their freshman theology class, they're walking into a basilica-like chapel every day for what we call convocation, which is a, a talk and a time of prayer that's meant to really set them up for the day before they go off the first period. And from there, you know, they've got endless opportunities for, for mass and for confession. We have all-day adoration every first Friday of the month. They'll, they'll make at least one annual retreat per year. And by the time they're seniors, that annual retreat could either be a pretty intense father-son Uh, experience or even a silent retreat very much built off of this you know the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius so the school uh, really puts its money where its mouth is when it comes to Catholic identity and mission Um, the campus ministry office is is probably the, the the best supported and and best funded you know department at the school and the boys know that the parents know that Um, even the coaches know that, and they rally behind it in a way that, you know, really surprised me from day one.
0: Well, and it's not, yeah, it's not just the campus ministry department, right? And I think that's a really important thing about the success you guys have had. It's that, you know, you were telling me this as we were talking earlier in the week, that the Jesuit is probably the top academic institution in the city of Tampa, and The top athletic institution as well, so it's not like it's not just a bunch of weird Catholic guys who are showing up from the start, you know, who are like, oh yeah, come come be weird and Catholic with us, like (laughs) like, you know, like we might want to do sometimes, but it really is like it's just it seems to be the kind of institution that's just excellent from top to bottom. And it's the vision of the administration that the Catholic identity of that school will kind of permeate every part of it, not just come out of the campus ministry office.
1: That's right. In my second year at this school, which was 2021-2022, we were well out of COVID at that point, especially down in Florida. We won three state championships, football, wrestling, and baseball. We had 20 converts in our RCIA program. Um, and frankly, you know, this shift in the culture of the school where even this pursuit of virtue, this pursuit of holiness, wasn't even this subculture that people respected anymore. It felt like it was more and more becoming normative, you know, sort of a part of the school culture at every level. And I would give, you know, first and foremost, the Lord, all the glory for that. Um, the Jesuits, especially the, the priests and the scholastics we have on campus, um, the bulk of the credit for that. But then also our devout Catholics who are teaching English and teaching math and giving credibility to the faith in other departments, you know, like our head baseball coach is revered for his faith. Uh, and, you know, the guy's won three or so state championships since he showed up at the school nine ten years ago. Um, so there's just a level at which the, the faith is integrated across, you know, school operations, school culture. Certainly, you know, how we prioritize, um, you know, the hiring of of faculty and staff with mission in mind Um, and that level, again, of integrating the faith across the board. It it just brings, I would call it a a culture of conversion to the boys, because you're right, the vast majority of them and by vast majority, I mean, 90 percent of them are probably only going to the school because the athletics are the best in the state of Florida, because the academics are some of the best in the city of Tampa. Um, you know, there's, there's there's a very small minority who are choosing it for its Catholic identity. Nobody uh, graduates without being deeply impacted by the school's Catholic identity.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's really, I mean, you used a word there that is that is huge for me, and I know it's huge for you. Uh, and it's the word culture. that that evangelization isn't simply just an activity that we go and do. It's not, you know, we can go knock on doors, we can make invitations. We can do all these things. But really evangelization, you know uh, Paul the sixth talked about that, that it's our deepest identity as a church that we exist to evangelize. And when we have these institutions and and we've talked a lot about the the Christendom to apostolic mission idea here in the archdiocese, and people are starting to unpack that and figure out what that means. And what it means is that from top to bottom, this idea of, of every single part of our organization, every single person in our organization, coming deeper in their relationship with the Lord and, and asking the Lord what He wants from them and what His plan is for them, and then just freely responding to that. The that, that true evangelization starts to happen when we have that in community that, that we can't just go out on our own and and do it. We can do that sometimes and, and it's never as fruitful as if we go out together as a community and set an ideal and say, this is who the Lord is calling us to be, and we can look at one another and say, how's it going? And are we pushing and challenging each other to live live that excellence? So it's got to happen in that context of community and culture.
1: Amen. And I think that's something that our school is striving to live, you know, more and more every year. So, for example, uh, Thursday and Friday of this week, you know, all 120 of our faculty and staff will be on a two-day retreat together. And, oh, by the way, everybody looks forward to it. It's not only a tremendous opportunity to you know, slow down the pace, enjoy the beauty of God's creation, because we go to this epic retreat center owned by the diocese. Um, it's not only an opportunity you know, to bond with one another and, and to deepen those, those friendships that we have on campus, but most importantly, it's an encounter with the living God. We, we bring in um, a, a Jesuit uh, who preaches these retreats every school year, and it really moves the needle in the interior lives of our faculty and staff, and bonds us together as a community on mission you know, uh, and our mission is you know the, the, the formation of these young men uh, here in Tampa, and so we 'll all come back from that retreat on Monday of next week with such love in our heart you know for the Lord, for the mission, and for each other and that 's the gift of community and that 's building culture from the top down. And there's so much more I could say about, you know, the way that our culture uh, is so clearly uh, embodying, you know, beauty and truth and goodness and brotherhood, uh, things that are, you know, very much uh, ideals in a a good Jesuit education. Um, Rigor, excellence. um, It's beautiful to watch. Uh, I've just never actually seen it, you know, in the kind of full color that I get to see it every day down here in Tampa.
0: Yeah, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a uh, principal of an intermediate school. So I think she's got grades uh, four to six at her, her campus. And she said, at one point she said, you know, I just thought it would be easier to evangelize in this, in this job. Like, well, you know, you get the big job and you have all these plans and, and ideas about what you're going to do and how you're going to create this Catholic identity in this Catholic school, and then the, all the distractions set in and all the hardships. And, and you know, it's like when you talk to pastors, like we don't realize, and I don't even realize, and I know more than most people probably, but we don't realize the kind of stuff they have to put up with on a day-to-day basis as far as the distractions, you know, and whether the roof's leaking or the furnace is going out and the boiler needs to be replaced. Like, whatever it is, and they've got all these things coming at them from a million different directions, right? And they struggle sometimes, these different folks, to – to really find a way to take the vision that's there in their head and or in their heart and really make an impact on that culture. So, I mean, it, as you're going, it's very clear that it's not just a vision, but there's also a structure behind how it happens. And I think that, you know, here in the Archdiocese, we're really getting a better idea of some of the evangelizing vision that we need. So we're trying to create kind of a Catholic imagination for evangelization is one of the things I like to say. So we're trying to help people imagine what's even possible. But What comes after that is I have the vision, I have the ideal of what I'm trying to, to do and who we're trying to be. Now how do I create structures that support the ideal in that vision? It sounds like that's something you guys have done a good job of down there at Jesuit.
1: I really like that approach, you know, to allow your imagination and ultimately a, a vision that God puts on your heart You know, to guide um, obviously the kinds of structures that you build to support that vision, uh, the kinds of people that you hire to embody that vision. Um, I will say this that, you know, Jesuit High School down here in Tampa didn't become what it is today overnight. You know, Rome really wasn't built in a day. I think it's been, you know, um, the last 15 years in particular, under the leadership of our current president, Father Hermes, and the vision that he brought to the table, and then patiently and perhaps even strategically, but certainly prayerfully uh, allowed to unfold over time, incrementally, you know, in the, you know, strategic vision of the school that has now led to this beautiful, beautiful chapel in the heart of campus where we begin every day and a slow renovation of all of our academic buildings, the, the brand new construction of a fine arts building um, that we've never had anything like uh, on, on campus. So there's, there's vision that's been, you know, sort of building over time and affecting facilities, affecting, you know, landscaping, architecture, um, the, the beauty of our campus. Um, but I think most importantly, and we all know this, you know, um, culture is ultimately about people. It's about a, a way of life. And more and more, we've been really very blessed to hire people you know, faculty and staff, but especially our administrators, the, the people who really run the, the school at every level, um, who have great faith, who bring that into their leadership, who don't think twice about opening and, and closing meetings or class periods in prayer, who have a, 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 a willingness to to share their own testimony, which includes their own joys and struggles in living the faith themselves. Um, maybe the... the, the Best example of this right now is our Mission Corps. This is a program for young men right out of college who want to sp- spend a year on mission at Jesuit um, down here in Tampa. And so they live in community, to use that word again. They have a, an intense prayer life. They all teach one or two sections of you know various disciplines that they're passionate about or have a background in. Um, but they coach, uh, they moderate clubs, uh, they're all involved in campus ministry, which means they help lead all the retreats. They're doing full-time relational ministry every moment they can in between classes, lunch periods, before school, after school, sporting events. So, you know, they're really great kind of embodiment of our mission right now, bringing, you know, who we are as an institution really to the, to the fringes of campus and everywhere in between, everybody in between. Um, and that's really exciting that, again, there's a school willing to invest in a program like that and has a vision for bringing in you know, credible 22-year-olds who are cool, former college athletes who are also on fire in their faith and are going to have an immediate impact on a student body like ours.
0: When I think about culture, I think about culture is really what we hold in common. I think how do you create culture? You create culture by having a common vision, which I think is something, again, that that's a little easier for us to latch on to, and then common experiences, too. And that common experience... You know We can't take anything for granted. So sometimes in our Catholic parishes or Catholic schools, we kind of assume that people are at a certain level or a certain place. So we say, well, I'm not going to ask them about their faith because I know they're good. I I know they've got it covered. Uh, I was just at a a presentation with my daughter last night. She's in eighth grade, and uh, it was on Eucharistic Miracles, and it was a good little presentation. She's like, Dad, did you know a lot of that already? And I said, yes, Rose, I did know a lot of that already. I've heard some of this before. I said, but one of the things I try to keep in my mind in my job is that, that I always have something to learn, and that it's like when you do Lexio Divina on a passage you've prayed with before, that the passage might be the same and the words might be the same, but I'm different and I'm changed. And so to assume nothing of myself every day when I wake up, that I have to wake up and I have to give my life to the Lord in prayer that day. And I think that sometimes in our parishes and our schools and in our institutions, we kind of assume too much and and we don't take the time to to create the culture by asking the questions and and by talking about having the common vision of where we're going, but also looking inside of ourselves and creating some common experiences along the way where we can really like grow our roots together and intertwine ourselves together. It's like that piece of rope where it's like, okay, you've got all these different pieces and when you wrap them around each other, their strength is just exponential compared to those individual pieces along the way.
1: Yeah. Well said. And that's obviously true of a family, It's true of an institution like a parish or a school, but it's true of the universal church, you know even this conversation, which is obviously made possible by the miracle technology, uh, does a great service, you know, to, to remind us that we are in this together. You know We're not alone in first and foremost, um, our identity as beloved sons, which is like, why I can look at you, Brian, although I have not seen you in person very much over the last 10 years. It's been like, you know, every few years we're seeing each other at an event, but I I can look at you and say, you're my brother. You know, because we have the same father in heaven because of what Christ did for us on the cross. He saved us and he adapted us. And that's something we're celebrating. And I think, you know, the church right now um, is often fraught with, you know, um, uh, obviously its own struggles and its own, you know, divisions and I think we do a great disservice to each other and of course to Holy Mother Church when we don't like constantly look for the very things that most unite us uh, and that frankly are are the source of all peace and joy anyways again you know the love of God that dares to dwell among us adopt us and call us his very own Um, that's something I think all of us can celebrate especially you know on a week like this.
0: Well, and, and earlier you talked about, you said truth, beauty, and goodness, which I know for you is like right in your wheelhouse, the transcendentals and how that incorporates into our evangelization. And I think that's actually a great place to start a lot of times because we have these these concepts, truth, beauty, and goodness, which are obviously they're, they're very Catholic in their nature and their origin, but they also speak to people beyond their own Catholic sensibilities, right? Truth, beauty, and goodness speak to us just at a very human and at a very raw level, so you don't have to know the theology or the doctrine of the Trinity or all the the Catholic nerd stuff to recognize truth, beauty, and goodness in the world. So uh, can you talk about, I know you've got a book coming out, I think, with Ignatius Press. Is it Let Beauty Speak? Is that right?
1: Yes, well done. That's it. That's it. All right.
0: So so maybe share a little bit about just those, those transcendentals and in terms of the work you've done in the Catholic school, but how you've kind of seen those things be able to penetrate beyond maybe just the surface level and, and have that recognition of, of truth or meaning in things we can use that to kind of shape our our vision of evangelization
1: so I'd like to begin by just briefly looking at the culture that we have inherited a culture that many of us have contributed to building and I'm just referring to you know Western culture maybe specifically American culture you know Benedict the sixteenth famously coined the phrase you know a dictatorship of relativism. I think we can all say we're very much living in the wake of that dictatorship meaning. You know, it's hard to have reasonable conversations about what is true or even about what is good, right? Because you have your truth and I have mine, and we're just supposed to agree to disagree. And any sort of mention of goodness feels like an imposition, you know, of of your morality upon somebody. Um, And we could go on about noise, we could go on about loneliness, the things that are real epidemics of our cultural moment. But the thing that nobody argues with at least very few. And the thing that has this power to unite us is beauty. Beauty breaks through the noise. It has a way of, at times, bypassing the intellect and going straight to the heart and really humanizing people, giving them a sense of, you know, what it really means to be happy, uh, to be alive. I mean, we could talk about, you know, sunsets and mountaintops and newborn children, but, you know, to... Bring it down to reality, you know, I just had a student very recently come into my office in tears. He was a senior, and he couldn't believe this sudden urge that he had to pray. And he felt silly about it because he really feels like even in his senior year at a school like ours, he, he still didn't know how to pray. And I said, well, man, let's just break this down for a minute. Where did this desire, this urge come from? He says, well, Mr. Mitchell is when we installed those, those new statues these are beautiful statues of the four evangelists—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—that now sort of encompass, you know, the 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 highest points, the alcoves of our beautiful chapel. And they were all commissioned in Florence. They were, you know, obviously flown into Tampa. We had this beautiful blessing of those statues before they were installed, and the whole thing really struck this senior in a way that he couldn't put into words. He'd been in that chapel every day for you know, three, three and a half years, and suddenly it was the statues um, that really, really transformed his heart and opened him up to this desire for God. And that's really what um, my book, Let Beauty Speak, is is all about. It's a reminder, you know, that it's not just architecture, music, art, um, all the things that we would normally associate with the word beauty, even God's creation, it's all those things. But most importantly, it's the beauty of the saints. It's the beauty of holiness that captivates uh, every generation. And so the book is a, is a battle cry um, and really a, a reminder that in living our uh, humanity well, we can captivate this culture of noise. And the book is divided into ten principles, Um, I actually use this book as part of a curriculum now in my um, senior theology class, and we we break each of those principles down, wonder, freedom, friendship, all the way to work, leisure, community, suffering, mission, culture, and help these young men at Jesuit, and I hope anybody who reads the book as well, uh, integrate those principles into their day-to-day lives in a way that can't help uh, but captivate others with with the beauty of uh, a life well lived, ultimately a life uh, in imitation of Christ, uh, a, a life that mirrors the saints.
0: I think, yeah, one of the ones out of those chapter titles you've ran through real quick that, that really strikes me is the idea of wonder. and Because I think that we live in a culture that, that wants like scientific answers, right? We don't want to take time to think and ponder the big questions and and everyone's so busy, and we're we're walking around with our heads down, looking at our phones instead of looking up at the stars, and and wondering about our place in the world, and having genuine awe of of creation. And I think that um, when we think of school, we think of like learning definite facts and and knowledge and things that you can know very easily. And I don't think that our sometimes our modern conception of education leaves a lot of room for for wonder. And I think that like really through the arts and the humanities and you know, I've been on this kick lately where I'm doing a lot of great books, a lot of great audiobooks, you know, some some real like 40, 50 hour slogs. I just finished Les mis on audiobook. It was sixty two hours, you know. But but this is like um, this this is an idea where this idea of wonder and like again it's it's creating that imagination for who am I? What is this world? Is there something bigger than just this?
1: Beautiful. So well said. And that is very much why it's the first principle and the foundational principle of the book. But I'm really struck by that, you know, that image of a, of a modern man looking down at his phone, you know, compared to, let's say, a man even 50 or 100 years ago um, who couldn't help but look up at the stars. There would have been nothing more mesmerizing at night than the night sky. Um, these phones are pretty addictive. I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, it's been, you know, years of you know, tweaking and, and given and taken before I really felt like I've, I've found a, a right relationship with technology myself. Um, but there's no doubt that, you know, beauty has this way of awakening wonder in the heart, pulling us out of ourselves, reminding us that actually there's a, there's a, there's a heavenly homeland that we long for and that this world will never ever come close to. And I think that's the, the gift of, of childlike wonder of awe, of imagination, uh, particularly in a world that, you know, just kind of gets more cynical by the day and more locked behind, you know, the the prison of self and the the screens that we carry in our pockets. And so, you know, when we take our guys on retreats, you know, we collect their phones and they don't even complain about it anymore. They're so glad to just remove the distraction from their lives for two or three days at a time. And I really believe that it's going to be, you know, this generation coming up you know, Gen Z, who was raised in a world with technology integrated everywhere. Um, I could see them having a bit of a a holy rebellion here against the enslavement that technology has led so many of them to. I've got right now 35 students doing Exodus 90, another 25, and it's a different 25 doing a program called The Augustine Way. Exodus 90 obviously being a really intense three-month program of prayer and, and fraternity and fasting, And a huge part of that is the giving up of technology. But the Augustine way is for guys who are trying to overcome addictions to pornography and other sexual sin. And they are all serious about breaking free. So that's, you know, 50, 55 out of 850. All right, that's at least least some progress. That's 7 or 8% of our student body. And many of them are student leaders. So imagine the trickle-down effect of that. I could see this happening, you know, on a, on a cultural level at some point in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And if it doesn't, uh we're going to we're going to lose so much of who we are and 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 what we've been about as western civilization obviously for these mass these last many many centuries.
0: Yeah, it's it's really yeah, it, it's a challenge and and culture doesn't happen by accident. And I think that's something we have to think about as we go to shape the culture of our schools and institutions. It, its culture is shaped by those who decide to shape it. So um, instead of running around with our hair on fire or just responding to put out the the fires that are around us, we have to be proactive to make time for the things that we don't think we have time for and, and to really intentionally build and shape the culture in our institutions, in our Catholic schools, in a way that is going to, to help them to go and make disciples, to be disciple-making institutions. So one of the things we like to do on our our little podcast here each week is just to ask and, and, and get some ideas for practical tips that people can do. So if you were uh, talking to someone who is, is in leadership at a Catholic school or a teacher at a Catholic school or even just a parent at a Catholic school, what would, what would you say to them as far as helping to shape the institution and to shape the culture to be one that helps make disciples And is not just this private institution that's just you know maybe sometimes the view of our Catholic schools is they're just they're not secular and they're not public and we're trying to hide from some of those things or or retreat away from the culture. So how do we help uh, really intentionally shape the culture to be around discipleship and disciple making in our schools?
1: I think first and foremost we've got to get on our knees. You know we've we've got to relearn the the art of the interior life. And I think that begins with the administration. So imagine if you know the principal, the president, the assistant principals, perhaps other key leaders on the business side of, of a major Catholic high school, were to gather once a week for a holy hour. And maybe the first half an hour was just sort of personal prayer, mental prayer. And maybe they need a little bit of formation on knowing how to maximize that, that time and its fruitfulness. But then imagine that the next half an hour is, you know, interceding for the entire student body by name in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Our team in campus ministry already does that every week. We pray for the entire student body every week by name in front of our Lord in the Eucharist. But also a built-in expectation of our team is that we're all going to daily Mass and praying a half holy hour a day. So I'm just really convinced that prayer really is the soul of the apostolate. So first and foremost, we've got to get back on our knees. We've got to be people who are contemplatives first. You know, it sounds really nice to say contemplatives in action, but do we take the contemplative part seriously? And I'm really convicted about this today more than ever.
0: Yeah, that's very different than than checking a box with prayer. It is.
1: It is. It's also very different than checking a box with a program or a curriculum or a mission statement, all of which matter, all of which matter greatly. But if our leaders of Catholic schools can't first and foremost commit to being true disciples of our Lord in prayer every day, then it's gonna be impossible for them to impart that upon students. The next step in my mind, is building a culture of accompaniment where you know the, the most senior uh, leaders in the administration, all the way down to the, the, the rookie teachers who have never taught before, um, are accompanying students, standing shoulder to shoulder with them, and really building uh, a culture of, of mentorship on that campus. What the Jesuits call the, the cura personalis, a care for the individual person. One of my favorite examples of this is, again, St. John Bosco. You know, he loved each of those young men as sons. And granted, many of them were orphans. This was their only hope for a future, you know, was Don Bosco. But his love, which was so rooted in prayer and that overflowed into the hearts of these young men, was so powerful that it just had this evangelizing effect everywhere that he went. And so when we go about the work of loving other people the way that Christ has first loved us, The conversion just kind of happens because suddenly, you know, the 14 year old freshman who has been, let's say, you know, uh, fatherless for 10 years, you know, um, and struggling to kind of make sense of life and maybe, you know, is finding his place in the school, you know, academics, but is really struggling in sports or vice versa. You know, let's just take like a classic kid from a broken home or a, a, a family that's experienced a lot of suffering You know, the school might be the most stable uh, institution in their lives. And that's a, a tragedy in a way, but it's also a huge opportunity. So if the school, you know, meaning the teachers and the priests and the administrators can love that kid better than anybody's ever loved him up until that point and give him such a profound sense of belonging, back to that word community, how could he not begin asking the question of where is this love coming from? What am I made for? Maybe this is real what they preach, you know, every month at our all school mass, or what I keep hearing Mr. Mitchell droning on about at the next retreat. You know, maybe it is real that this love of God is not just a, a concept and a nice, you know, theological idea, but actually something that can penetrate my heart and change me forever. And, you know, I think that's the beauty of of education, especially you know, when you have them for the long haul. Um, you can really work with them and accompany them and pray for them um, without being so hurried about it because you know that actually the, the grace is dripping, you know, and at any point could lead to that tipping point um, that really brings about the lifelong conversion.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I think those are, those are very good uh, practical tips. You know, pray and be personally involved. Don't assume that the institution is going to do the work for you that you've got to be in the trenches, walking with folks, trying to, to um, ask the hard questions and be there in the highs and lows, and, and just that accompaniment we've been talking a lot about as a church. I think this has been a... Uh a really fruitful conversation, uh, hopefully the first of, uh, of many if that book comes out after I get a chance to get the book and read it and we can have you back on and, and talk through that even more. It'd be great.
1: Yes. In fact, it, it is out, believe it or not. Wow. It came out earlier this year. Um, I guess actually now that we're in 2024, it came out earlier last year um, and it's really easy to find for anybody who wants to check it out. Just go to letbeautyspeak.com. It's also available on Amazon and I think pretty much everywhere books are sold.
0: All right, well, I'm gonna have to go on there and order myself a copy right after this. Uh, Each week, we close in prayer. Would you mind uh, taking us out with a prayer?
1: Absolutely, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of Catholic education, especially in this week in which we celebrate it all across our beautiful country. We thank you and and pray in a very particular way for school leaders, for teachers, for staff, for all that make our schools what they are, And we pray for our students and their families and for all of their needs. Lord, we pray for just a a greater receptivity to your love in their hearts um, than ever before. We pray for a a greater fervor and and commitment to to faith and to following you on the part of, uh, again, all those faculty and staff and, and school leaders that we just prayed for. And God, we thank you for this great love that you continue to reveal to us day in and day out. Through the, uh, through the sacraments, through the teachings of the church, uh, but also through our concrete circumstances. So for all of us, Lord, we just pray that you would maximize our receptivity to your love and that we would be uh, just real uh, wellsprings of that love for our world that we know is in such desperate need of you. And Blessed Mother Mary, we consecrate the work of Catholic education, especially across the United States, to your Immaculate Heart and beg for your powerful intercession as we say. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. John Bosco, pray Pray for for us. us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Go and make disciples.